we're we're doing a movie tonight. It's called Amadeus. A movie? Yeah. We thought we'd talk uh, about our favorite artists in film. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and that's that's not just, you know, artists like Jackson Pollock is an artist. Uh, sure. Any artistic medium. Uh, and uh, who would like to start out telling us their favorite artist in film? I'll, I'll start if that's okay. Hey right, there. Williams. Well, yeah. hey, fancy meeting you here. It's me, oh. Emily. It's me, <laughs> Emily Williams. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Hi, guys. So um, I have about th- three people. None of m- the people on my list are like visual, like art artists. Yeah. Okay. I have two. Um, well, I'll just get to it. Okay. So the first three are in like no kind of particular order and then i'm saving my number one top pick for the last okay all right so um the first person i have on my list is anthony hopkins playing c.s lewis in the movie shadowlands i love shadowlands oh it's so good i still haven't seen that (gasps) it's good it's It's a good play too you should you should check it out all right um, the second person on my list is also an author, uh, which is Nicole Kidman playing Virginia Woolf in The Hours, nice. which really, that, it broke my heart. I thought she did a great job in that. Um, and the next one, this is kind of an honorable mention, um, but I'm going to say Chris Thomas King as Tommy Johnson and Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, who is based on the real-life blues, blues musician Robert Johnson, who is where the whole... Um, crossroads like, myth. The myth about like selling your soul at the crossroads to yeah. the devil. To be, nice. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to have him on there. And then, Okay, so this last one is like, I just, mwah, chef's kiss. And that would have to be Mr. Rami Malek in Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> <laughs> I made that joke to Paul earlier today. <laughs> I, okay, that is why that's why I wanted to go first because I was afraid somebody else would beat me with that joke. Nope, you got it. You got it recorded. So there you go. <laughs> uh, wonderful. I will. I will only be bitching about that movie here in another year or so. Yeah. You know, I um, still haven't seen that movie mostly because of <laughs> what Paul's had to say about it. And y'all watch it eventually, but it's just a podcast. Just such a fucking hit job. <laughs> All right. Well, well, I'll go next. Okay, cool. Um, so I have uh, Paul Giamatti as Harvey Picar because okay. I have brought up American Splendor <laughs> in enough time. Where is my American <laughs> Splendor? I kind of love that movie so much. It's it's amazing. It's so good. it's it's so good. Uh, my next one, Jennifer Lopez as Salinas. Oh, um, oh Salinas. Salinas. I thought she did amazing in that movie, and that movie is much better than that crap series that they came out with last year. That's what I heard. And yeah. I've heard they've kind of anglicized her a little bit more in the show. Yeah. Which was already a big enough problem in the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and my last one is actually a group of gentlemen. Uh Jack Black, Paul Rudd. Nicholas Cage's cousin Jason Schwartzman and Justin Long playing the Beatles in Walk Hard. 
because Hard. that shit was amazing. And that movie is phenomenal. Like, awesome. It is so underappreciated. It it really is. Uh, have you, I mean, okay, hold on. Three thoughts at once. Patrick Williams did a really good video on it. Also, it sort of killed that biopic yeah. uh, and then Bohemian Rhapsody. Never once paid for drugs. All right, Zach, what do you got? Um, okay, so I got a few here. Uh, yeah, say Hector and Coco, you know, shout out to Hector. Nice. A <laughs> um, couple movies I've watched for the first time earlier this year. Uh, Jimmy Stewart playing Glenn Miller in the Glenn Miller story was just a super charming and wonderful uh, performance, even though, you know, the story is sad and everything, but I really just kind of yeah. vibed with that. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, Guido Anselmi in Eight and a Half, because it's a really interesting look at a man uh, going crazy with his own creativity and creative block and stuff. It's just such a meta movie, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll also go with a group of gentlemen, the entire cast of uh, Straight Out of Compton. Ah, yes. <laughs> and finally, I got a shout out um, Tarkovsky's Andrei Rublev, just because, you know, I always got to get the, the Russians guys. in there, huh? Yep. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's Fair. mine. Paul, what do you got? Um, let's see. I'll start with uh, Lewin Davis from Inside Lewin Davis. Ooh. Just such an incredible film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of those ones that puts me in a state of existential dread anytime I finish it. Uh, so, you know, it's my favorite. Uh, exactly. We'll go for uh, one of the greatest writers of all time, uh, Hunter S. Thompson, as portrayed, portrayed by Johnny Depp in uh, Fear and Loathing Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. What a film. Uh, and I guess I'll I'll go for a group of people too. Uh, I'm going to go for the entire cast of the film Boogie Nights. Ah, oh, which is uh, just kind of one of the greatest films I've ever seen. I love Boogie Nights. It is the best Scorsese film not directed by Martin Scorsese. There you go. Nice. To this point in Thursdays, we haven't seen a bad film from. All right. Anybody got anything else? No, well, I mean, first off, I, I actually wrote one down because I was sure you were going to say this one, but I thought one of yours was going to be uh, Gary Oldman and instead of Nancy. Nancy. I was going to say it actually. <laughs> I, w- I I had really thought of it because it, you know, it's right here, it's right yeah. there, and it, and it's right here in my heart, <laughs> and also on my shelf, the cup you gave me, which I will watch uh, very soon. Thanks. It's so good. I love that film so much, and also, of course, we cannot uh, forget. Um, the gentleman from the Oneaters and their portrayal of Captain Skeech and the Shrimp Track Shooters. Correct. Oh, and uh, Spinal Tap. This is Spinal Tap. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of Spinal Tap. Let's talk oh, about, yeah. We're 1984. Funny. Yeah, we are 1984. Hell yeah. Well, let's talk about a movie. Let's talk about a movie.
beautiful people out there in podcast land. My name is Paul Workman. I'm Jonathan Pierce. I'm Zach McCoy. And joining us this evening to talk about the film, our returning guest and friend of the podcast, A1, Miss Emily Williams. Hi. How's everybody doing? No, I'm doing fine. How are you tonight? I'm doing well. I'm excited to talk about this movie. Well, we're we're always thrilled to have you, so let's get into finishing this opening. Uh, We are your Oscar Grouches. Welcome back to the Oscar Worsty Podcast, show where we discuss Oscar winners throughout history and try to determine where the Academy went wrong, if they went wrong, what film are we watching this week? Zach. We're watching Amadeus. A mythologized telling of the life and times of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart through the eyes of jealous composer Antonio Salieri. Nice. This is everybody's first time watching this film. Ooh. Nope. Nine. No. Hmm. Yay. You know, it's, it's funny. Last time we had Emily on for, uh, for West Side Story, we had all seen that, too. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's because I watch good movies. That's fair. And, and we all agreed that West Side Story was good. So <laughs> we did not. We did not. Uh, but anyway, aside from me and Emily being right about West Side Story, does anybody remember their first time they saw this movie? No. I've seen it a few times. <laughs> this is actually only my second time. My first time was around 2010 or so when I was living in my. First place, recently married. And I was like, hey, I own this movie. We haven't watched it yet. Let's watch it. Nice. Yeah, like, similar to Zach, I, this was only my second time watching it. And um, the first time I saw it was um, maybe around, like, 2003, 2004, where I was, like, on a kick where... I was like, oh, there are all these classic movies that I haven't seen. It's my duty to see them. So I watched like Citizen Kane, Casablanca, and this movie like all at once. Nice. <laughs> what, a, what a lineup. Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, I think I watched it when I just went ahead and bought it on VHS at some point. Was it a uh, double VHS? No, it was only a single. Oh wow. Uh, hmm. wow. Yeah, I was shocked too. Uh because uh the original cuts only two hours and forty minutes. So I was shocked to find out that they could compress that down into one VHS. Did you guys watch a different cut that I did? Because uh, I, I did not. You and I watched <laughs> you and I watched the director's cut. I don't know uh, what version Emily and Zach watched. Um the first time around I watched the original cut. The second one that I rewatched for this was the director's cut, which wasn't too different. There was an added, rather disturbing scene. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's 20 minutes of film added, so. Yeah. yeah. You guys will have to enlighten me on those 20 minutes because I think I watched the theatrical version. All right. Um, yeah, so. Shall we do an Oscar breakdown? Break it down! Okay. My mouse is being weird. Let's get there. Squeak, All right. squeak. Squeaker, squeaker. All right. It's March 25th, 1985. No? Okay. A, a chaotic. Sweaty. Sweaty. Uh, there is some chaos at this. <gasps> Not a lot, but some. 
we'll get there. Right. There was there was chaos in the Williams family because that's when my little sister was born. That's when that, I was well, I was no, no longer no yeah. longer an only child. Yeah, we're doing no. the uh, we're doing the eighty four ceremony, which means uh, this is the year that I was born and I was born. Mm-hmm. Well, Paul was or not Paul Zach was born before the last one, I think. Right? No, no Zach's younger than well, us. Is he? Yes, yes. I'm born eighty six. So, Emily, oh, I, I take I'm it you're baby. 83 then, Emily. Baby. I'm an eight. I'm I'm a late 83. Okay. Late 83 oh. baby, so yeah. that means you and Paul are both Academy Award winners. What? That was correct for every child or whatever yes. the name of that short film. <laughs> well, this one I think was Boys and Girls. Every child you'd missed by a few years, but we we missed by okay. Yeah. All right. So congratulations, Emily Williams, Academy Award winner. All right. Yes. Um. So, uh, we are still Dorothy Chandler. Pavilion. Our host for the evening is the lovable and legendary Jack Lemon. Hooray. Two-time Oscar winner. Uh, our most nominated films on the evening are Amadeus and A Passage to India at 11, and Amadeus is our most awarded at 8. The Ocho. <laughs> it's never not funny. <laughs> I don't think I'll do it every time. Maybe uh, eight uh, times. Uh, Saul Zentz picks up producer, uh, winning best picture for Amadeus, beating out The Killing Fields, A Passage to India, a pl- Places in the Heart, and A Soldier Story. Uh, Milos Forman picks up his second best director for Amadeus, after winning one for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes. Good. A big reason that I just went ahead and bought this film on VHS without seeing it. Right. What a guy. Yeah. Oh, he just keeps getting better. Uh, our best actor goes to Ephraim Abraham playing Salieri uh, in Amadeus, beating out his co-star Tom Hulse as the titular Amadeus. Uh, Sally Field picks up best actress for Places in the Heart, taking the stage, exclaiming, you like me. You really like me. Thank you. I'd gotten the timing wrong on this is the one. This is the one. It was five years later. Terrific. Uh, our best supporting actor goes to Hang S. Nor for The Killing Fields, mm. beating out Pat Morita for The Karate Kid. If anybody didn't know, that was an Oscar nominated performance. Uh, huh. And a posthumous nomination going to Ralph Richardson. For Greystroke, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes, who died very shortly before the nominations were revealed. Oh, wow. I, hmm. <laughs> I was going to say a horrible thing. I hope he did not die of a stroke. Cause, uh... A Greystroke? Yes. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> it's okay, Emily. You can laugh out loud. You got it. Hey, if he wasn't going to do it, I was going to do a Harambe joke. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> uh, for Ralph Richardson. <laughs> Thank you, Ralph Richardson. Uh, best Supporting Actress goes to Peggy Ashcroft for A Passage to India. Uh, best Screenplay Written Directly for the Screen goes to Places in the Heart for Robert Benton. Beating out two very shocking nominees for the Academy, Beverly Hills Cop. Wow. Which uh, is kind of bullshit that the people who get nominated for it because everybody knows Eddie Murphy essentially rewrote that entire screenplay. Yeah. 
uh, and Splash, the Ron Howard film. <laughs> I did not know that Splash had been nominated for it's, any awards. That makes me so happy. <laughs> if if I see it anywhere else, I'll make sure to bring it up. Oh my gosh. Uh, all right. Best screenplay based on material from another medium goes to Amadeus. Uh, Peter Schaefer uh, adapting his own play. Best foreign language film goes to Dangerous Moves from Switzerland. Uh, best documentary feature goes to The Times of Harvey Milk, which is a, a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, best documentary short subject goes to The Stone Carvers. Best live action short subject goes to Up. Thankfully, not the Pixar film. Mm. 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 <laughs> <laughs> We'll get there on our next version of the Oscar Worsty podcast. Our best animated short goes to Charade. Unfortunately, not the Stanley Donan film. Mm. Best original score, of course, brings us to our podcast within a podcast. John Williams, Oscar Watch. John Williams nominated twice this year. Ooh. Once for The River, and once for Indiana Jones and The Temple of Doom. Losing both of those nominations to Maurice Jarre for A Passage to India. Oh, The River is so good. The River is so good. It's so good. And that soundtrack is really good, too. Oh, a dream is like a river, ever changing as it flows. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I just have to make a quick observation here. Okay. Is that I don't really know how great of a compo- composer Mozart really was if he didn't even get nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I he's mean, the, he's not in this joke. He's not in this category at all. At and, all. And, you know, even if he had been, he would have lost to the guy that wrote the score for Ghost. <laughs> True. <laughs> so good <laughs> alright best original song score will leave us all standing in the purple rain purple, purple rain, rain purple rain, rain. Mm. Prince picking up an academy award for purple rain excellent and I guess they thought that was enough because he is not nominated for best original song there is no when doves cry, but you know who is nominated for best original song? Phil Collins. Fuck Phil Collins. <laughs> I hate him so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I won't argue with that. Yeah. Uh, other, other great songs that didn't win, and I'll get to the winner in a moment. Uh, other great songs that didn't win Footloose from Footloose by Kenny Loggins and Dean Pitchford. And let's hear it for the boy from Footloose by Dean Pitchford and Tom Snow. Another terrible song that didn't win. Ghostbusters from Ghostbusters. What an awful song. Hmm. Like, I've known you for 20 years, and sometimes even I have a hard time telling when you're being sarcastic or not. I am not being sarcastic. I do not like the Ghostbusters. (laughs) Wow. Maybe I've just been brainwashed by how iconic it is, but I think it's a good song. I mean, it's my favorite it's, part of the movie. <laughs> it's just a Huey Lewis and the News song that got repurposed. 
I mean, I guess Bustin does make me feel good. Bustin make me feel good. See, I just, it's, it's a lie that feels good. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Anyway, all these songs <laughs> lose to Stevie Wonders. I just called to say I love you. Oh, <laughs> uh, which is the point of one of my favorite jokes from the movie High Fidelity. Your daughter does not like I just called to say I love you, unless she's in a coma. Is your daughter in a coma? I haven't seen High Fidelity. Uh, oh, it's great. Yeah, I know. It's one of the few times that Jack Black's actually good on screen. Oh, well. The, the zingers just keep <sighs> flying. Man, I am, I'm on the hot take wagon right now. So here's a question for you. I don't know where it would land, but I feel it was slighted. How is Axel F not on any of this? Pop The popcorn song? The song from, yeah. I don't know, man. Like, I feel like that. Come on. Should have been somewhere. Somewhere. <sighs> best I don't, best I, original score, something. I, uh, <laughs> I should keep my mouth shut. Yes. I'm not no, you should. Don't. don't. <laughs> Why? Why would you? <laughs> I'm just over here throwing vitriol. <laughs> I don't want to make my wife mad. She could be listening. She doesn't listen to this. Don't, don't lie to us. I show her parts. She loved your Tom Waits. Oh, good. Um, but you know who just covered? I just called to say I love you. Who? Pentatonics. Oh, God. No. God damn it. <laughs> I cried. Okay, anyway, moving on. Did they also do the Ghostbusters theme song just to? <laughs> I'm sure they have at one point or another. Just to keep doing terrible songs. Hmm. I don't I don't hate that song, honestly. I just don't like it. Like when I hear it, I'm not like, fuck everything that exists. Sure. Like I am when Pentatonics comes on. <laughs> yeah. Home Free is much better. Acapella group. Sure. I'll check them out. Dude, seriously, check out the bass guy. Caitlin's so them good. too. I'm just not into acapella. I, I'm not really either, but that guy that uh, does the bass, they yeah, did some first. talent show or something or other, uh-huh. and he actually had a bass that was so low, you couldn't hear it unless you had a subwoofer. Yeah. Wow. He so, scares me. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a basic millennial woman, so, you know, I love acapella. <laughs> awesome. Look, there's I only like one. always the men doing acapella. Ooh. There's only oh. one. There's only one acapella group that, that we need to give any credence to, and that's rockapella. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where the world Where is in the world? Yeah. <laughs> See, I always go gummy bears. Okay. Oh, my gosh. You're right. That was acapella. Yeah, it was. Okay. That theme song is amazing. And I, you know, I think song. that when you guys do like best animated feature, it might be cool if you like did some little side bars or you talk about the Disney afternoon TV shows. That might be cool. Smells be like fun. a cold open. Well, I mean, asked one. This one. No, go away. Oh, God, chill out. Fuck off. <laughs> okay. Uh, now that I have shooed my dog away for the time being, best sound goes to Amadeus. I don't know that any film deserved that more. Yep. Even though it beat out Dune. The much better version of Dune. It's not. God, when was I rewatched it? It's not. It's okay. At all. It's a gorgeous mess. Here, here's a hot take for you. 
no version of Dune is a better version of Dune. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not being sarcastic either. That's not a, probably right. <laughs> not a Dune fan. And if anybody out there in podcast land is doubting my nerd credentials, I'm wearing a Fahrenheit 451 t-shirt right now. Hell yeah. If you want to get pissed off about uh, <clears throat> book adaptations, go ahead and watch Wheel of Time. Uh-oh. No. Oh, I've been told it's good. I haven't read Wheel of Time, so... Uh, I I'm actually no- just started reading it, uh, or listening to it a couple weeks ago, and I'm like 80% through the first book, okay. and they have three episodes in, and I think I'm caught up. Okay. So, but, yeah. All right. Uh, best art direction goes to Amadeus, beating out Nicholas Cage's uncle, Francis Ford Coppola's The Cotton Club. Oh. Hmm. I just wanted a reason to bring up more Nicholas Cage family members. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. As you should. I actually have a note to bring up another one later. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, best cinematography goes to The Killing Fields. Give me Chris Menge's uh, cinematography, beating out Miroslav Andriek for Amadeus. Uh, Vilmos Zygmunt and Caleb Deschanel also in the category. Deschanel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deschanel shot The Natural, starring Robert Redford, which was the first film uh, produced and released by TriStar. Oh, shiny. Just so you know. I don't know how I feel like TriStar has been around longer than that, but I guess nope. not. 1984, apparently. Wow. Did not know myself. Uh, Passage of India nominated? Uh, yeah, Ernest Day. Vilmos Sigmund did uh, The River. Gotcha. All right. Uh, best makeup goes to Amadeus, beating out 2010. Much better sequel to 2001 Space Odyssey. Now I'm being sarcastic. Just make, Zach, make that face right there. <laughs> Was it just as boring? I haven't seen it. I've, I've never actually seen it. I, I've seen most of it. It's fine. That's that's pretty much what I hear. It's fine. <laughs> All right. Uh, best costume design goes to Amadeus. Mm-hmm. Best film editing goes to The Killing Fields, beating out Amadeus. Best visual effects goes to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Nice. Beating out both 2000, 2010 and Ghostbusters. I'm a little salty that that's the Indiana Jones movie that won an did Did... Raiders won an Oscar. Yeah, it won, it won some stuff. Yeah. I think it even got like a special Academy Award. I'd have to go back and look. Yeah, don't worry about it. You can All listen right. to our Chariots of Fire episode. Right. I, Everybody who wants did. to know. I just, I got so bogged down with you guys talking about the, like the soundtrack and like Richard Griffiths. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I was just letting anybody else know they can go back. Not oh, you. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Some honorary awards. Uh, our first honorary awards goes to James Stewart for his 50 years of memorable performances. Fantastic. Uh, for his high ideals both on and off screen with respect and affection from his colleagues. That's wonderful. Very deserving. Indeed. Uh, the National Endowment for the Arts and its recognition of its 20th anniversary and its dedicated commitment to fostering artistic and creative activity and excellence in every area of the arts made possible by viewers like you (laughs) 
I'm sorry. I cannot hear a Jimmy Stewart impression without thinking of Dana Carvey anymore. <laughs> oh, she's flooded. <laughs> oh, do it again, haw. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, I'll strap on my Oscar and do you. That is one of the funniest (laughs) specials I have ever seen in my life. Like, I'm so happy. It's you're and you're only going to catch people in our age group that you will know what you're talking about. But it's still (laughs) infinitely quotable. But only with this age group. Look, Emily's going to back me up on this here in a second. But that that. Uh, special inspired one of the greatest things that happened in our high school, which was after every performance, all the males in the cast and crew would go into the uh, the dressing room and take off their pants and start screaming "Nakey time!" <laughs> it's Nakey time! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't forget the little ping. <laughs> uh, as as much. As much as, as much as we've tried, <laughs> as much as the ladies have tried to forget, we can't forget the ping. They're, they're, they're all just jealous. I, we, I, I, well, I, I kind of am because, like, Paul, as I have told you before, um, the only thing went on, that went on in the girls' dressing room was lots and lots of judgment. <laughs> so, <laughs> Fuck. No, me and a bunch yeah. of teenage boys just having a good time with no pants on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that didn't happen. <laughs> lots of lots of toxic judgment. <laughs> Lovely. Good, good, good times. Good times. Good, good times had by all. <laughs> That's why I was a techie. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. Right. So the Gene Herschel Humanitarian Award goes to David L. Wolper. The Special Achievement Academy Award goes to The River for sound effects editing. Nice. All right. I need to hijack the show for a minute. Okay. To talk, right, about, to talk about how much I hate myself for not covering the Gordon E. Sawyer Award as properly as it deserves. You are the fucking worst. Oh, I really am. I Holly am the, worsty. I am the Ghostbusters theme song of people. <laughs> Meaning that I, I everybody suck. loves you and you don't and you don't know why. Exactly. I was going to say I suck, but everybody seems to enjoy me anyways. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, we're going to start with this year's winner, the 1984 winner, Linwood G. Dunn, who uh, has been working in Hollywood since 1923. Uh, now, the Gordon E. Sawyer Award. I cannot get my mouse to work right tonight sorry about this guys okay so specifically first the gordon e sawyer award is an honorary award given by the academy of motion pictures arts and sciences to an in quote an individual in the motion picture industry whose technological contributions have brought credit to the industry end quote credit quite prestigious linwood g dunn hanging out in hollywood since the silent era Mm. uh he started as a cameraman and you won't believe what Best Picture winner Linwich E. Dunn shot. Was it Amadeus? It was not. Oh. Uh, wings. You're close. Mm. By year. Oh. So, all quiet. All quiet. Cimarron. Cimarron. Oh. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, I did like that. Uh, the the westward. 
expansion scene. Good job. Yeah. Uh, so Dunn rose from shooting title cards to creating in-camera optical effects. He was hired as a special effects technician of RKO Radio Pictures, his tenure there lasting from 1929 to 1958. He is the man who shot the RKO title card of the radio tower. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, as soon nice. as he said RKO, it popped in my head. So yeah. iconic shit. So yeah. Linwood G. Dunn, and, and he is not Linwood G. Dunn either. <laughs> I was saying boo words. Uh, and this led to, uh, this early experience led to the World War II development of the first practical commercially manufactured optical printer, a device consisting of cameras and projectors, allowing for the accurate compositing of multiple images onto a single piece of film. Wow. <laughs> most impressive yeah now now you kind of understand why i why i'm kicking myself for not covering this more properly because most of these dudes rule yeah this is pretty lynn good there (laughs) (laughs) quitting this fucking podcast (laughs) do it all for you jonathan uh in the early 1930s dunn became part of the effects team responsible for the creation of the original king kong jesus um many effects setups consisted of miniature kong models being animated frame by frame in front of rear screen projection background plates yeah so this guy just he just keeps working and he keeps working on stuff like son of kong uh flying down to rio the hunchback in notre dame and a, a little film that you might know as uh citizen kane this guy's right. the man yeah yeah so uh He's been around a bit. Uh, he did the lightning ex- electrocution scene in The Thing from Another World. Uh, he worked on the Star Trek TV series, doing special effects for that. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, this, this guy's just great. Uh, he was nominated for, or received Academy Awards for the Acme Dunn Optical Printer. Uh, an Academy Award for the special effects on Mighty Joe Young. Uh, looks like he, we called him out for an uh, honorary award and appreciation for outstanding service and dedication and upholding high standards of the Academy Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences uh, for the concept engineering and development of the Acne Dunn optical printer uh, for motion picture special effects in 1980. And now he gets this Gordon Story Award. So he's got five Academy Awards to his name. Beautiful. Right. Sounds like they are well deserved. Uh, here is here is last year's winner, John G. Frain, who is a PhD in physics from the University of Minnesota while working at Bell Laboratories. Oh. Uh, he went to uh, California Institute of Technology as a National Research Fellow in Physics. Doctor uh, Man. So I I could pretty much read most of. It all of his uh, Wikipedia and we'll be done with him in a minute, but he's still pretty awesome. Uh, among his technical achievement, oh, uh, in 1949 with Haley Wolf, he wrote the classic textbook Elements and Sound Recording. So this man literally wrote the textbook on sound recording. <laughs> uh, among his technical achievements were the development of sound recording techniques and their reproduction for optical sound recording systems, which led to stereo optical formats used by films in the 1970s 
and 80s. He was a co-inventor of the sphere densimeter, which won a Scientific or Technology Academy Award in 1941. So he was winning Scientific Academy Awards the same year that uh, Linwood was working on uh, Citizen Kane. He was also the co-inventor of the stereo disc cutter, which was standard in the recording industry, and the co-inventor of the intermodulation techniques of distortion measurements, which won an Academy Award in 1953. Those are a lot of science words that you just said, Paul. Yep. And that's pretty much his whole Wikipedia. It's very short. Okay. (laughs) Uh, um, He also got a fellow of the Auto Engineering Society, which received its gold medal award for outstanding achievement in the advancing of art. Art of Audio Engineering in 1976. Stem, yeah. stem, stem. There we go. Uh, 1982, John O. Alberg. 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 I feel um, like I've heard his name, so you probably mentioned him before, too. Yes, I have. So uh, first, I'm going to talk about his achievements, and then I'm going to give a fun note that <laughs> is not so fun. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh, maybe, maybe it is. We'll find out. Okay, so he was a Hollywood sound technician who worked on films including Citizen Kane mm-hmm. and It's a Wonderful Life. He was a 10-time Oscar nominee and th- received three technical awards from the Academy. Uh, so his... Where did his... I thought I had his Academy Awards breakdown over here. Break it down. All right, so his nominations go for... Uh, girl in Paris from 1930. That girl from Paris in 1936, hitting a new high in 1937. He won a, a technical achievement award in 1938 for the application of compression to variable area recording in motion picture production. Uh, Hunchback in Notre Dame in 1939. Swiss Family Robinson and Kitty Foyle. Uh, Swiss Family Robinson. He did special effects, which is his only special effects. Uh, Academy Award nomination. And he got nominated for Best Sound for Kitty Foyle, Best Sound Citizen Kane, It's a Wonderful Life, Two Tickets to Broadway in 1951, Susan Slept Here in 1954, and the Medal of Commendation and Appreciation for Outstanding Service and Dedication and Upholding the High Standards of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Scientists in 1979, which he shared with Charles C. G. Clark, which is probably when I, maybe when I read him on the thing. Nonetheless, very accomplished sound designer. All right. And finally, our, our, our first winner and our final one we'll talk about here, Joseph Walker. Texas uh, Ranger. That's right. Who worked with, uh, who was a cinematographer who worked with Frank Capra on 20 different films, including It Happened One Night, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, You Can't Take It With You, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and It's a Wonderful Life. Beautiful. He was nominated for uh, Best Cinematography four times. In addition to his film work, oh, I forgot to give you that fun note on the last guy, so give me a minute. I'll finish this up. Uh, In addition to his film work, Walker held 20 patents on various camera-related inventions he devised, including the double exposure system, several zoom lenses, the Dumar lens for both motion picture and television cameras, the variable diffusion device, the facial makeup meter, lightweight camera blimps, and optical diffusion techniques. In 1994, many of Walker's inventions, lenses, devices, and patents were purchased by the ASC Museum curator Steve Gaynor, and they are on display in the in the ASC clubhouse in Hollywood. 
Wowzers. Yeah. Uh, he also shot his girl Friday. Oh, God. <laughs> oh poor how girl. Many, <laughs> how, many, how, many, yeah. how many years did he get? <laughs> well, actually, uh, that brings me back around to John O. Alberg. Speaking of shooting, John o. o. Alberg was married to Sarah Jane Moore, who was one of the two women. Yeah, Emily gets me here. Who's one of the two women who tried to shoot Gerald Ford? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> But he tripped and avoided the bullet. I think you should try to work in a reference to assassins in every uh, well, episode I, yeah, of this I, podcast. I, 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 I'm absolutely trying to. Okay. And <laughs> I'm so happy that John O. Albert gave me the reason to work in the assassins. That was the whole point of covering this award, wasn't it? No, but it was an <laughs> added bonus. <laughs> it's very important. Thank you for amending our uh, misses, yes. and now we are complete once again. Yes, uh, but we will not have another. This isn't given out every single year. We will not have another one until 1987. Okay. I look forward to covering that properly when we get there. Thanks. Okay. Right. That well, thank you. is our Oscar breakdown. All right. So let's talk about this movie. Let's. This um, movie. I am actually really surprised this movie got released or even finished oh yeah uh how there was any scenery left by the end is fucking shocking (laughs) there was not a single person in this movie that was just not chewing on it all holy fuck it's so good it's so fucking good (laughs) yes i'm actually curious on uh what emily thinks of this movie this movie is so good. Damn it. It's so good. I was hoping it's to fight so you again. Good. It's so brilliant. It's so brilliant. It's, oh my gosh. It's yeah. It's amazing from start to finish. Yeah. This yeah. this movie is just fun and insane. And I there's not an emotion this movie does not trigger. No. And that's without the fucking actual like operas that they do, where you're just like, hey, fuck, this is so good. Like, so well done. Like, they like did full produced segments of opera. And they were all done by Twyla Tharp. I know. They didn't have to go that hard, but they did. Milo's foreman was like, we're doing this. We're doing this fucking right. Absolutely. Oh man! Yeah, <laughs> Th- this movie just. Uh, oh it, my! It, uh, I don't I, even I know where to start covered, with you know, this movie. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's so good. Um, I have a bunch of stuff written down. Good. Oh, oh, dude, yeah. you you lead us through bullet points, Emily. I know it's not your podcast, and and we'll we'll follow you wherever you're going. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know you do a, a like a mini. I just I kind of want to get this out of the way because I know you have brought this up on your podcast before, okay. but um, people involved with movies who, um, since the making of the movie, have been um, have been disgraced. And mm, are yes. we going to talk about Jeffrey Jones? Yeah, I was I wasn't sure how integral he was to the conversation, but now that he's now that he's out there. Sorry. No, I. No. 
And, and yeah, that one was one of the ones that hurt me a lot because I was yeah, like, oh, I uh, love Jeffrey Jones. I know. That, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I, I'm so, not going to lie. It, it does and did make me feel incredibly uncomfortable on the rewatch of this. So I got to admit that I, is Jeffrey Jones bad guy? Child porn. He, I'm sorry? He, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm 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 not gonna say he's not a bad guy. Not as bad as some, but still bad. Uh he apparently was a fourteen year old boy. He had posed for some nude photos. That's as far as I know to what hmm. he's done. He is yeah, currently he, registered as a sex offender. Yeah, he pled no contest <laughs> to soliciting a minor and he had the photographs and stuff. Yeah. What? Sucks. I was gonna say nice things about the guy, but now fuck him. Yep. yep. Oh, and, I know. Like, go yeah, ahead, it, sorry. It, it really it was, ruins it was hard like seeing him in like a semi-serious role when I'm so used to like you know. Yeah, that's Ferris Bueller's principal. Like, same here, right? Well, yeah. uh, sorry to sorry to open with that. Um, do you uh, it, still want to hear my bullet point? Yes, <laughs> yes please. please. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well. The I did not write these in any kind of order. Um, I think it's interesting, like you guys were talking about before, the the walk hard killed the uh biopic genre. Yeah, right. And this movie is so good because I think one one of the reasons is because it doesn't and make any pretense of being historically accurate. You know, right. it is like no openly like a fictionalized account of history and like the writer and uh and milos foreman were very open about yeah you know this is fantasia there's some things that are based in reality but for the most part this is more allegory than it is yeah uh than it yeah. is well a straightforward just- narrative with the straight American accents throughout the entire film, even when speaking Italian words, it's almost like they're saying it with an American accent. <laughs> You're just like, I'm taking this as seriously as this movie wants me to. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's amazing. Um, but I, I think that that is a really strong... The only other movie that I could think of that I think does a really good job with that is the Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette movie, which I am not putting on the same tier as Amadeus, but I think it's a cute movie and that it delivers. Um, okay. So this was a fun, I did some research and I thought this was a fun little tidbit, which is that the first person to um, create this um completely fictional rivalry between Salieri and Mozart was the father of Russian literature, Alexander Pushkin. And I didn't know who that was, but on the Wikipedia page, Alexander Pushkin is described as the father of Russian literature. And so I thought I would say that so that I would sound smart. <laughs> hey, we're, we're, we're trying to hack it out and sound smart every week. So welcome to the club. <laughs> I love um, Russian literature. <laughs> I actually, I haven't read a whole lot of it, but yeah. what I've read, except for Anna Karnanda, I really like. Yeah. Dostoevsky. Um, yeah. 
that's I, that's a thing I know. No, I'm yeah, not you, a... you were just doing Russian names, weren't you? <laughs> Nabokov. <laughs> Stay away from that. <laughs> let's 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 turn that ship back around and get off that topic, okay? <laughs> All right. Um so um I <laughs> It's you're right. It's so hard to know where to start because it's so good. This movie, I think, is a really good example of just the grotesque aesthetic because it's so hilarious. Oh God! And like openly hilarious, and Tom then it's so, it's so darkly hilarious, and then right. it's just so dark. Like yes, straight dark. Yeah, it, it really, it really just. <laughs> Keep sliding down that hill as slowly as possible <laughs> until you just get into the dregs, and it's so oh wonderful. God. It's so good, and I, you know, I realized while I was rewatching it, I didn't appreciate how good it was the first time I watched it. Yeah, me. Either. You know, the, the first time I watched it, I was kind of like, okay, you know, I guess it was a good movie, but I don't know, just something about it this time. Oh my god. <laughs> As a kid, I, I thought it was boring. I, I was a dumb fucking kid. I, well, no, I mean... No, I think even as, as a kid, you could only appreciate how rude this movie is. Oh, my gosh. Like, okay. The, like, it's the whole point, I feel like, of the movie. It's like, yeah, it's about Mozart. Sure. Really, it's just watching how fucking rude the most uptight people can be. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> oh, it was, oh, it's amazing. The, you know what? The moment where you, Miller's foreman, lets the audience know right in that first scene where those two servants are like bringing the, like the <laughs> put his the, hands in the ice cream, <laughs> the donuts and like the ice cream or the whipped cream, whatever it was up there, and it's so like the way they're eating the food is so <laughs> gross. The cream out of the glass, and even the guy eating like the the donut, the pastry thing is just eating it in a really gross way. And then they finally bust in the door, and you see F. Murray Abraham on the floor with like the fake blood all over his wrist and all over his throat. And they cut back to those two servants with like the food on their faces. <laughs> and then F. Murray Abraham has the blood all over his face. And it's just that like the all the transitions and the the cuts back and forth and the transitions from scenes. Oh my god, I've got so much to say about this movie. It's so brilliant. <laughs> so yeah. brilliant. I'm I feel like I'm rambling and talking no. too much. No, that, we love I it. Just, oh, I yeah, just want if you were I just want to bring up we would have just said. Yeah, God, what a great movie! <laughs> yeah, pretty much. All right, time uh, to get to our worst suggestion. <laughs> I just want to bring up that I love that uh, Vincent Schiavelli, who is a uh, longtime collaborator of Milo Forman, is the first guy to speak in this movie. Because yeah, I, I always like those little notes. It's like, hey, yeah. you, you're in so many of my movies. Let me let you talk first. <laughs> well, uh, F. Murray Abraham, winner of Best Actor, I absolutely deserved it. He's Oh, good in this. 100%. I, still, I, I, I still can't not laugh. And I don't even know where the joke is from, but every time I hear somebody say F Murray Abraham, it's like, well, what the fuck did he do? <laughs> uh, he completely owned this movie, is I what just, he did. I just remember that one Simpsons joke where Homer Homer tells his dad that he can't stop to go pee because he's trying to see uh inside the actor's studio with F. Murray Abraham. <laughs> <laughs> and Grandpa Simpson's like, I have to go F. 
Murray Abraham. <laughs> Uh, I, I will say yes, he is incredible in this. I I would also not have been sad if uh, Hulse would have got it because I love him in this film. Oh my the, gosh! The fact is that, that he, the fact that he's not an A list actor after this movie is baffling, right? Criminal. <laughs> like I mean, criminal. even like throw that guy into at the very least a bunch of uh, Chris Columbus movies. Like that's where I see that face in, and I nope. think he. I think he ends up in Parenthood, the uh, the Ron yeah. Howard film. Yep, he was. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention somebody that lost to F. Murray Abraham, which was, of course, Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Oh, uh, Paul. Yes. What are your feelings about Jeff? Oh, well, I love Bridges. <laughs> yes. Uh, honestly, <laughs> honestly, I just watched Starman for the first time this year, which is <laughs> stupid on my part. I should have seen that movie 20 years ago. <laughs> it would have been my absolute favorite film 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, but Jeff Bridges' performance in that movie is something else. I have not it, seen that movie in so long. Yeah. Just I, <laughs> like Jeff Bridges had to like study how to not be human. And he's so like weird and robotic in that film yeah. in a way that's charming and alarming at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Alarming. I, I don't think the movie's aged very well, but he, he like you said, he's something to watch in that movie. Oh, I think that movie's aged very well. Mm. But again, if I would have saw it 20 years ago, it probably would have been my favorite film ever. But unfortunately I've seen cats and we can't go back. Yeah. What can you do? Cross that bridge when we get there. Let's let's cross that bridge because I love bridges. God damn it! <laughs> um, here's another fun fact about Amadeus that showed up on the little Amazon sidebar while I was watching it. Um, apparently, Baron von Sweeten, who is like the the court guy with like the brown curly wig and yeah. the blue coat, who was mm. like, um. He was the inspiration for Van Helsing in the Dracula book. Oh, like Bram Stoker hey. knew the real Baron von Sweet. Did you guys know that already? No. I, I read it in the I read it in the IMDb trivia. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know that. Does he have anything to do with uh uh the Wreck It Ralph guy? <laughs> or what? Baron God von damn it, dude! Really, <laughs> the Alan Tudyk character. <laughs> that was a deep cut. I missed that one. Uh, <laughs> Baron von Sweeten. I only caught it because I watched that movie too many times. I think I watched it with Evie like last week. Uh, also, Kenny Baker's in this movie, uh -oh. right? Yeah. Uh. I got so like I missed that the first time I watched it. Same. And I like that his scene is so close together when they're showing the Don Giovanni opera with all the Sith Twi'leks. Yeah. Very, very true. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. All knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I certainly do. <laughs> I yeah, I'm I'm here just trying to think of things to say about this movie because it's beautiful to look at. Mm -hmm. The sound design is incredible. Yep. 
Yeah. Like. <sighs> okay. Yeah. I actually have two more kind of like discussion question okay, style. Okay. Good. Yes, please. Okay. So, um, the first, I'll say both of them and then you, we can like, you can just say which one you want to talk about. Um, so the first one was, um, one of the things that I really thought was amazing about this movie is that it makes both the protagonists, you know, Salieri and Mozart sympathetic and really unpleasant at the same time. I fucking and, hated both of them and I loved every bit of them. And yeah. <laughs> and like the way that they pull it off is just like one little teeny thread hair, whatever you want to call it out of place. And the whole thing would have fallen apart. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, the other one was, well, yeah, that's, uh, talk amongst yourselves. No, yeah, you're uh, absolutely uh, the right. Peanut is a uh, nut and a pea. Oh, just come. Zach, you were saying something. <laughs> just, just what Emily said is so true. It's like in the first half of the movie, I, uh, Mozart is just so unpleasant. It's like, you know, whatever. But then once you get to like the second half, he, you start humanizing him and really getting in to understanding him and, but he's getting worse, though. Well, he, like he's he's getting worse as far as his health, but I feel like he's becoming more less egotistical. Uh, well, and I yeah, he, I agree. yeah, definitely less egotistical, but I think worse in the sense of like he's failing, right, in everything at that point. Mm-hmm. And Celieri was in I, you. You said he was like the protagonist, but honestly, he was more the antagonist in this entire film. Well, I, I was. But I, I guess I was saying, like, in terms of like just being like the a main, main character. character. Yeah. Yeah, but I could also see him being a protagonist as well because you're like, I, I was rooting for the guy the entire time. Right. Oh my no, god, his moti- his motivations are so awful. Yeah, like, they're, they're so, great. I they're love so it. surface I mean, level and <laughs> shallow, like. I, I really because I see the entire time he's just going, fuck God, fuck that guy. I'm a, I'm literally going to piss him off by fucking up one of his greatest creatures he's ever made. And even like, but like go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Like that's I it. Like it's just he's just like <laughs> that 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 is his motivation at that point. Like he hates how much he loves Mozart. I would extend what you're saying and argue that. He is that awful, even from the time when he is a little boy, because the whole time he's sitting there trying to be all little Mr. Pious choir boy. He's like, oh, God, what can you do for me? You know, I want to be famous. I want I want to be famous. I don't you know, it's like everything is but he like, put the work in for it though because he wasn't just like hey god give me this it was like hey god if you do this i might as well chop off my balls i'm never going to use them i'm going to put the work in to do all of this and no very selfish absolutely freaking lootly like, this selfish. guy only thought of himself and he's and it's not like he's unsuccessful either he's the court right. composer yeah. Yeah. he is he is working directly for the emperor and and he's getting to put on his own art. We even see him conducting one of his own operas at one yeah. point. Right. So he's he's really just like 
He's a mean Brian Wilson. <laughs> uh, Brian Wilson's great. Oh. Yeah. No, see, Amadeus is Brian Wilson. Because he's the greatest songwriter of all time. I, I mean, I love Brian I Wilson. What but, you I mean, just said. but he, uh, uh, as far as Brian Wilson, you know, went mad thinking he wasn't as good as the Beatles. Oh, yeah. 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 But he was much better, as it turned out, because the Beach Boys are better than the Beatles. God only knows what we'd be without them. <laughs> um, anyway. Without uh, <laughs> what? I, I, I blame the, uh, the Beach Boys on Jimmy Buffett. Mm. Okay, I'm not going to go off on a tangent, but them's fighting words down where Ooh. I'm from. I was waiting. For, I needed something to antagonize you at some point today. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, that's, that's absolutely fair. When we get to uh, certain other movies and this podcast, uh, I will be talking about how they completely ruined film forever. Nice. Um, but yeah, like back to Salieri, like, and he just like, he starts out as just like a petty, like, like a, just like a run of the mill, petty, nasty coworker. But it's like, she becomes so manipulative and not to get too personal, but in the time between the first time I watched this movie and the second time I watched this movie, I had, um, a boss at work who was, uh, I'm pretty sure this person had narcissistic personality disorder or something and did a lot of gaslighting and manipulation. Yeah. <laughs> and like now having gone through that and come out the other side watching this movie, I'm not saying that I think like the character of Salieri is like hundred percent like a narcissist. Um, but like, the way that he gaslights Mozart mm-hmm. and manipulates mm-hmm. him, like it really, it, it to, struck a nerve see, this time. That, to the that, point, that's why, oh, go ahead, Paul. To the point he's gaslit him so hard that while he is laying on his deathbed, Mozart's like, I thought you hated me. I'm sorry I ever thought that. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's so painful. Oh, it's yeah. so painful. But that's the thing though, like, he can't be a narcissist. So <laughs> yeah, he can't be a narcissist because he recognizes how much better Mozart is. Well, yeah, in I know. everything he does. He and, oh, I'm so glad you said that. Keep going. But it's like that's that's what I loved about him. Like when he did that whole like, I made sure there were only five shows after that uh, opera, yeah. basically about his <gasps> father. But I went to every oh one of my them. Gosh. Like, fuck, yeah. dude, that must hurt. Like Jesus Christ, and like. Yeah. And, like, Jonathan, did you notice that, like, he's always eating, okay? Yeah. He's always eating. And I'm like, because he just wants to consume and yep. just take and take and take. Oh, it's so good. I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole, um, the rivalry is entirely fictionalized. It's like. Yes. Yeah, apparently it was, like, a very, like, playful rivalry in real life. Okay. But it, it was not this. The writers no. just hate Salieri or something. The <laughs> reading that I had done all said that they were like pretty cool with each other. Yeah. And also that Salieri was married, had a mistress, and eight children at least. Uh, and his mistress he was ate one them of- or had the number eight. He had the number eight of children. <laughs> oh, those, okay. I those, legit those thought children. you meant he okay. ate children. 
I would kind of respect no. him if he did. Um, uh, well, he, well, no. And apparently his <laughs> mistress was the the one uh, opera singer that oh, yeah. Mozart slept with early in the film. Gotcha. The before I like her. They put a little nod to that in there. That's kind of neat. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I also love whenever art in film, whatever it is, is used as analog for film. Where it's like, yeah, you're you're watching the the director of the opera come through and start ripping pages out. He's like, mm-hmm. we can't have this ballet. Yeah, you're not allowed to do this. As as if he's some producer of film. You know? Yeah, we we all know how that works. Uh, yeah, because a lot of times when you see art in film, it's usually uh analog for film like like chef has anybody seen john favreau's yeah chef? i've seen chef yeah Love chef chef is all about making iron man 2 that makes sense <laughs> that makes so much fucking sense now that you say that <laughs> he's using the art of cooking to describe how shitty it was making iron man 2 i'm i'm gonna make a note to myself to watch that later because oh it's god it's oh, phenomenal oh so good i like, do re- i do quite have a fondness for John Favreau's Ubra. Yeah, uh, I love that word so much. I, I like saying Oubra. it on the yes, on Thursdays. Yeah, um, I will never get Ubra saying it. <laughs> God damn it! Not you too. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll I'll throw this out there, and you can take it with whatever, however many grains of salt as you want. I think Chef is John Favreau's best film. Ooh, I think I might have to agree with you on that. And I'm a guy who really stands Zathura. <laughs> he does. Um, yeah, so so watching Milos Foreman just kind of work out whatever whatever problems he had with the Czechoslovakian government mm-hmm. in this film was also yeah. wonderful. <laughs> God, man, that um, Charles K., as Count Orsini Rosenberg, you know, the one with the little glasses. Mm-hmm. He he crushed it. Everybody yeah. in this movie was like going a hundred percent. Oh yeah, but, oh, that's yeah. like I said, like <laughs> I mean everybody was just chomping on the scenery, like yeah. left and fucking right. And it was yeah. amazing. It's incredible to look at. Like everybody just went one ten percent. Like yeah. And then and then when it really calls for it, like Holson Fbury Abraham just pull back ever oh, so yeah. slightly and give so much nuance to their See, yeah. that's what I loved about <gasps> him though because he felt like the so only good. grounded character like he just he felt grounded the entire time where everybody was just this exaggerated version of yeah. people and just he was the only one who was like watching everything go around like why is this a fucking thing but, but I have thrive. to live in it but but he thrived in it at the same time but you yeah. also you also have to think this is Salieri telling the story. So yeah, like, right. So, like, you could also pass off, like, all these people are large because that's the way he's making them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, storytelling man. within storytelling. I love it. And every time they cut back and forth between Salieri telling that priest the story and the flashback was brilliant. Like yeah. those transitions were brilliant. Mm-hmm. The way that they, the musical cues 
were brilliant. Like yeah. when the way that they would bring in the music and then mm-hmm. when it was silent, I, I started to notice that more. And, th- and then like every time, like, like something bad would happen to Mozart and they would like do like a, what do you call it? Like a smash cut, mm-hmm. uh, like hard cut to that portrait of Leopold. Yeah. And that, <laughs> that, that hard Don Giovanni sing with but it's just like it's so silly it's so and it's so great. <laughs> so good. I wrote down in my notes Roy Dotris as Don Giovanni. <laughs> oh so and then after he died it switched to the DAZ ray from the Requiem. Yeah. DAZ. I'm sorry. I need to calm down. No, I get very no, passionate about things. Absolutely good. <laughs> I I get very passionate about things that I like, and I really like this movie. Oh god, this movie's so good. I yeah, can't I was, stop saying it. I was just looking at the cast uh, again. I, I Laurel. I kept looking at her. I was like, I know who that is, but Cynthia Nixon. I I didn't realize it was her until uh, just now. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. A very young Cynthia Nixon. I think she's only like seventeen while shooting this film. I believe um, it. And uh, almost lost her job because she was afraid she couldn't like stay where they were shooting. Oh wow! So mm-hmm. thankfully, uh, <laughs> thankfully, the filmmakers were like, "You either need to stay, or we're just going to recast you." She's like, "No, no, I'll, I'll stay." And I think she puts in a really great performance in this film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was it. gonna. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I love Elizabeth Barrage, too. She's such a cutie, and I'm surprised she didn't have a bigger um, movie career after this. Yeah, yeah it's kind of a bummer. That's literally exactly what I was about to say, too. Oh. I was about to bring up Elizabeth Barrage. Yeah. Is Stanzi. I Yeah, I think she's great in this. Yeah. Her, her art, or her character change mm-hmm. was really good. I'm just making, I'm looking to see if I missed anything. Right, was uh the Killing Fields one for editing, right? Uh, the the editing's really good in that, but I feel like the editing in this movie is flawless, and and so right? it is for this movie because mm-hmm. the editing also comes like we was talking about when he like they would cut to like the painting and things like that, like it came uh-huh. off silly ish. I think the way the editing is done is great for this movie. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and. If it was for something else that was in any way even slightly more serious, it would have been off-putting. Yeah, but yeah. in the sense of that's how this whole movie is, it, it's perfect. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like this, this whole movie teetered a line just for two hours and forty minutes. Just oh yeah, it it walked that razor's edge. Yeah, and that edge. Went into Salieri at the beginning of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I will say if if I had to do the trade off and not give it best film editing so that I can give it best sound, uh, I'm making that trade. Um. Yeah. Yeah. The Academy I, likes to share the love most of the time. Yeah. Before before learning about. Jeffrey Jones, I was going to say there it is a bunch during this episode, but <laughs> well, there it is. I'll only say it one time. I will say I got to chuckle every time he said it, though. Yeah. God, it's just like. Yeah. The, yep. And like the attention to little details, like in the scene when 
um, Salieri, you know, he gets the costume, the the mask, the masquerade costume that Leopold had worn when he goes to commission the Requiem mass. And Tom Hulse opens the door and he's got like the like the ink stains on his fingers from where he's been like writing the sheet music. Mm-hmm. And like they like Tom like he got like the those ink stains on his fingers and I, like just like so he must have really Tom Hulse was really writing with that quill pen to make those ink stains. Tom Hulse was really playing the piano through this entire movie too because Okay, I was gonna ask <laughs> about that. And I feel like we've talked a lot about F. Murray Abraham, which is very much deserved. Yes, let's so talk good. I think let's talk about Tom Hulse. Let's talk about Tom Hulse. Yeah, apparently he spent like six months learning to play the piano and experts at piano uh, have said that they could not find any flaws in any of the piano playing in this film. Wow. Which is nuts. That is think, so nuts. To think that yeah. to think that you had never played piano before in your life, because apparently he played guitar, but not piano. Okay. And six months later, you're able to recreate Mozart. And not only that, but that scene where he plays upside down and cross-handed. Yeah. Also him. Shut up. <laughs> that is really cool. That is not a hand double. Like, wow. That is yeah. really incredible. <laughs> I was going to say the laugh. Oh, the laugh. The laugh. Was so it was it, necessary throughout the film, but fuck, I hated it every time. Oh, and you know, but you're supposed to. I know. <laughs> it works well. It's just like with Salieri. Like, you're... Okay, so... I feel like with Salieri, he starts off being kind of sympathetic because you can see like, okay, Mozart had this really privileged childhood and Salieri's dad was like uh, uh, basic, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, uh, you know, get a capitalist, get a real job. Yeah. Sorry to get political. Actually, not sorry. <laughs> no. Never mind. Sorry to get um, political. It really, and so um you kind you really do relate for relate to Salieri, but then like as the movie goes on, you start to see more and more of Salieri's unsavory qualities that were really always there, but they just start to manifest more. Whereas like with Tom Hulse. He goes from being like he's still really privileged and kind of bratty the whole way through. Right. But like you really like by the end feel feel for him very much. And uh Gotcha. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, yeah, absolutely. It's like when when he brings him back from the when Salieri brings Mozart back from the theater when he after he passes out during the magic flute. Um, which the the Paris Opera production, 2001 production of the Magic Flute, is on YouTube, and I think it's really good. I think that version is really good. Yeah. Um, and it's got subtitles. If anybody wants to watch it. Yeah. But um. Yeah. 
I think we could probably go on talking about this movie forever, so but good, yeah, y'all. we want yeah. to stay under two hours probably. So we'll <laughs> yeah, and and we have uh, we have another show to do, so we should I'm, probably get I'm your mind. <laughs> no, it, honestly, I I didn't even realize until I just looked down at my clock. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and move on here and ask Paul. Paul, is this in the library? Thankfully, yes. Finally, uh, okay. So, you're all going to give me a year, Emily. I'm not sure if you remember, but uh, we are now at the point where the earliest the film could go in is 10 years uh, after its release. So, 1994 is the earliest year that this can go in. So, uh, okay. you guys guess the year, 94 being the earliest. I would say 2005. Okay. What, did you read it, Emily? Did you find out? Already? I accidentally read it, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So, Jonathan, you give us... I'm keeping my mouth shut. 2012, because they're stupid. Jonathan wins the prices right, and you don't realize how stupid they are, Jonathan, because it's 2019. Jesus Christ. God. Can you imagine? <laughs> In 1998, the AFI called this like the 53rd best film of American film of all time. And it doesn't go into the, the National Film Registry into 2019. Jesus. That doesn't make any sense. No, it's uh, that's such a weird, like, how are you going to call it one of the greatest films of all time in 98 and not put it in for another 21 years? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. I can't so, believe they ranked it as 53rd. I mean, it, personally, I think I also think it should be higher, but yeah. uh, I think 50, if you're in the 100, it's it's... You're pretty good anywhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so anybody want to guess the 1984? Oh, no, I'm sorry, Paul. Go ahead and give us the fucking class. All right. So here's the class. The 1984 class goes to Before Stonewall, uh, also 2019. Purple Rain, also 2019. A note that I keep forgetting to add to this goddamn show, and I've been meaning to put it in here for like 10 episodes or so, is... There is a notation on the uh, Wikipedia that tells you that the soundtrack also gets put into the nat- into the like Library of Congress National Music Registry or whatever yeah. automatically, Purple- huh? Automatically? No, no, very just very specific things. Oh, okay. Well, okay. Purple Purple Rain, one of those. Uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller from last week, also one of those. Yeah, uh, Hairpiece, a film for nappy-headed people an animated short film um, ghostbusters but you can tell that this the theme for ghostbusters is bad because the soundtrack does not go in um uh, <laughs> bless their little hearts a narrative feature the times of harvey milk a documentary soundtrack for that goes in uh the terminator goes into 2008 stranger than paradise and this is Spinal Tap, which the soundtrack should be in, but it's not. Yeah. Well, what does that mean, Paul? It means that they get it wrong every now and then, but they got it right with Ghostbusters. Yeah. All right. All right. So who wants to guess what the number one movie was in 1984? Um, Starman. No, I know it wasn't Starman. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Okay. Zach? Uh... Um, Dune. 
No, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking it's probably Indiana Jones also, unless I'm missing something, which I could be. Okay, Emily? I'm trying to pull up a list of 1984 movies, but I was too slow. Um, oh, I might have a different answer. Or was it Ghostbusters? <laughs> or That's a guess. Gremlins? Yeah. Terminator. Okay. It's probably not okay. Terminator because no. of radar, but um, I would like it if it was. Let's see. What do I think? <gasps> the never-ending story. No, was that it? I don't know. I have no idea. Um, I don't say Indiana Jones. I don't know. Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, oh that track. It was the highest of the year. Of the year. Nice. Okay. Wow. Excellent. Ghostbusters at number two and Indiana Jones at number three. Okay. And it, it remains like the highest rated R, the grossing highest, no, the highest grossing rated R film for like 20 years after yeah. that. It's ridiculous. Gremlins was number four. There you go. I love Gremlins so much. Yeah, you uh, do. Oh, uh, which uh, th- thank stuff. you for saying Gremlins and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, 1984. I meant, absolutely meant to base the cold open off of 1984 because uh, Gremlins and Indiana Jones create the PG 13 rating in 1984. Right. <laughs> Ooh, fancy. So, so I'm sorry, Emily, but I think our uh, I think our cold open next week is PJ 13 F words. Yes. <laughs> I <laughs> yes. I'll be okay with that. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm not gonna say any, but you guys you guys have fun. <laughs> we, oh, we will. You boys have fun. I mean, tell you what, you go ahead and come up with them, and we'll say them. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Amadeus didn't even crack anywhere near the top 10. Yeah, it was, it was only, it was one of only a few that didn't even like crack its top five in its opening week of release. Yeah, it was like half a mil in its uh opening weekend. That's rough. Yeah, so all right, so now it is time to get into our worsty judgments. And Emily, yes. does this movie deserve Best Picture? Heck yes. What? Yes. 100%. All right. Uh, Zach? All right. So uh, I really wanted to watch a soldier story this week, Paul, and I still will. Uh, another, another busy week. But I've, I've seen three out of these five. So I'll rank those three. Number three. A Passage to India. Good, but a little long. Uh, and some <laughs> problematic things with it, which I won't get into. But I, it was nice watching another David Lean movie after so long. And, you know, it's the end of his career. And it's kind of bittersweet. Um, but it was, it was visually nice. It was There were some good things about it. And I like it. Uh I watched The Killing Fields for the first time. It's been on my list of things to watch for quite a while. And that movie was... <sighs> that movie was incredible. And Hang Nor... Uh, how do you say... I, I apologize for butchering his name. You said it earlier. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think you hit it. Hang, uh, he definitely deserved his uh, Supporting Actor Academy Award. Yeah, his, his first role ever, because he was a doctor before that. Yeah. Uh, also uh, was actually imprisoned and tortured and made a slave laborer by the Khmer Rouge. 
holy crap no wonder i mean so he's he's not really acting yeah not not to take away performance that he does in the film but yeah he's he's drawing much from his real life experience yeah um i thought it was it's one that'll stick with me and even even the ending using imagine which is so corny these days didn't feel bad in that movie um but amadeus is my number one best movie of the year uh even with a whole bunch of other great movies of 84 um once upon a time in america is a great movie but i don't think the cut that was released in 1984 was very good it's a kind of a blade runner situation i i love the the cut that i'm available to see now but it's probably not best picture worthy in 84 yeah uh yeah that's a really good cut (laughs) yeah um and I'll just mention a quick couple others. Blood Simple came out. Incredible movie. Probably could have been nominated. Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Paris, Texas is another one I really want to watch. There's your Blood Simple criterion. Take a drink, everybody. Yeah, so that's where I'm at. Uh, Jonathan, is it your turn? Yeah. Um, does this movie deserve Best Picture? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Um, I haven't seen any of the other nominees, but you know, even if I had, it'd still win. Um, it's kind of close to Chud, but you know, Chud. Chud came out in 1984. Uh, Frank and Weenie came out in 1984 too. Yeah, it did. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I love Shelley Duvall. I know, especially knowing that she's not being tortured by that piece of shit Stanley Kubrick in that movie. Yeah, I like Daniel Stern a lot too. I do too. <laughs> 1984 um, had a lot of really good movies that are near and dear to me, but none of them are like Oscar worthy to me. Like The Last Starfighter came out in 1984. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kid Co. came out in 1984. Johnny Dangerously came out in 1984. One like, of my all time favorite films. Like, as well, it should be. Yeah. Muppets Take Manhattan. Repo Man. So, okay. I mean, like, yeah, Repo Man. Yeah. Repo so, you got a criteria in there, don't you? I was trying to find it. I got too much shit on this fucking shelf. While you're looking for that, I have a hot take, which is that I don't think Muppets Take Manhattan is one of the strongest Muppet movies. It's not one of the strongest, but it's still a good movie. Love that cover. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. It's nice we brought up Repo Man on the same episode that we brought up Sid and Nancy. So. Yeah. Love Alex Cox. So. Oh, and yeah. Okay. But yeah, I mean, it's just like a lot of good movies, but none of them really, well, not none of them, but a lot of them really just not Oscar worthy. But I've seen a lot of 1984 movies. That and Breaking and Breaking 2 Electric Boogaloo came yeah, out in 1984. Bye. So <laughs> shout out to Canon Features. So yeah, I, of course, this movie deserves Best Picture. So Paul. Okay, do the thing here. Um, I did not get to see The Killing Fields this week. Uh, I just got kind of busy because, uh, as me and Trav are probably going to be talking on Thursday, I went to go see an AW show on Wednesday yeah. and have the time of my life. And uh, we were on TV quite a bit. <laughs> In fact, uh, they recorded back to back episodes, and uh, I'm on TV. I was on TV tonight, too. So, Sweet. and I'll be on the internet broadcast of uh dark elevation on monday because they recorded that too um okay so uh so i didn't get to the killing fields i was gonna watch it today but uh i don't want to get into it but some 
bad real world news came through today. We all know yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it just didn't feel like the fucking thing I wanted to watch today. Right. Um, okay. So uh, that being said, the other four films I did watch this week, uh, and I'll start with my number four, which was, or my number three of the other three, which was Passage to India. Everything you said, Zach, down the line. It's it's beautiful. It's nice. Uh, I really wish we didn't get Alec Guinness and Brownface again, but David Lean really seems to like doing that. Um, my my number two of those three is going to be Places in the Heart, which was a really interesting uh, Dust Bowl era story about racism and ableism and sexism. Which, which was much better than I was expecting. It was a, a lot more uh, tender with the things, uh, the, with all those topics than I assumed it was going to be. I think Sally Fields is really good in that. Uh, probably deserving of that award. I can't think of anybody off the top of my head who I would have given it to over her. Um, but I'm upset that as much as I like John Malkovich and Emily doesn't, I'm upset he got nominated for that and Danny Glover did not because racism. Um, Paul, Paul, you know my feelings about John Malkovich. Yeah, can we talk for a second about your problems with being wrong about John Malkovich real quick? (laughs) Um, You know what? No. I mean, yeah, you can talk about it, but just because you want to talk about it doesn't change the fact that he's a terrible actor and... Ooh, the hot take train just keeps rolling on this. I'm yeah. looking for the mute other people, but I think he's one of those guys. He really has to be in a role because he can really take me out of stuff too. Cause you know, he's got one of those voices where that's, that's his voice. It's like Christopher Walken. I don't think he's a, a Christopher Walken is great. He's an he can, actor. He's an actor who benefits really well from good directing. Yeah. He's great in the killing fields. And, but he's not like forefront and he's kind of, you know, he's even when he's way. not great, he's still amazing. I point you to rounders. Ah, uh, rounders. He's good. For every rounders, I... there's an Aragon. <laughs> That's. There's there was nothing. nothing going to save that fucking movie. Okay. <laughs> there was, that man literally showed up. He's like, all right, so just read these 10 lines. All right, where's my paycheck? Like that, that was him in that movie. And I do well, not blame him for it. That was a 15-year-old fanfic of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And it was one that could have been much better, and not a single fucking person took that movie seriously at all. I love that. That's how I feel that, about it. The fact it was also not just, like, it was literally a ripoff of uh, Earthsea. So. Look, my whole point here was that Danny Glover is in this movie. Yes. He's incredible. Yes, and he ahead. should have Sorry. been nominated, not John Malkovich. <laughs> Paul, that is so true, because... Yes. Like, not just because John Malkovich is terrible, but also because Danny Glover is, like, polar opposite amazing. And also, like you said, it's a movie about racism. <laughs> like, and, just the... And as the, always, the white guy gets nominated. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go off because of, like, what you said earlier, but... Well, then you're going to be real excited about a soldier story, which is practically an all black cast. Well, yeah, no, I, I meant like, you know, that don't want to go into like political stuff. Um, That's fair. 
about what happened today, but yeah. Yeah. It's yep. kind of depressing. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's disappointing, but not shocking. History of America. I, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. So, so my number, my number one out of the other three that I watched is a soldier story, which is an incredible story uh, about the murder of a black officer at a, a base in Alabama during World War II. And the black officer that comes down to investigate, uh, and this cast is stacked and incredible. Uh, Adolf Caesar, who plays the officer who gets murdered, uh, gets a supporting actor nomination. But I think Howard E. Rollins Jr. as the captain who's investigating his murder should have been nominated. David Allen Greer is in this movie, and he's great. A very young Denzel Washington puts in an incredible performance in this. Robert Townsend's in this movie. Like, this film was really good and just excellent. It's apparently the play, a soldier's play, that this is based off of is one of those plays where every time a young black actor got put in it, they pretty much rocketed to the top right after they were in it. Uh, so it, it, it's great. It's a yeah. really good movie and it's free on Pluto TV right now for everybody who has Ooh. a Pluto TV app. Highly recommended if you're willing good. to watch some commercials. Yeah. It's so good. I, I have a, tomorrow. yeah, guilty confession, or should I say a white guilty confession, which is that I have not seen that movie. I had not seen that movie before this week, and I, it's going... not talked about much uh, to what I've heard. And I mean, I know Paul mentioned about how it's received as a play, and, and but... yeah, and I, I will say I had maybe heard it in passing once or twice, but I did not really know what it was or what it was about. Until one of my favorite podcast podcasts, Black Men Can't Jump in Hollywood, covered it like three weeks ago. It's so good. It, everybody watch it. It's free. It's free on Pluto. You have no reason to not watch it. Uh, okay. So that being said, Amadeus is my second favorite film of 1984 and it absolutely deserved Best Picture. And I love it. And uh, it's great and it deserved Best Picture. Nice. Uh, my number one, of course is top secret oh yes <laughs> the funniest <laughs> film ever made <laughs> top secret it's a. Uh, it's the zucker brothers the creators of airplane yeah uh doing a spy movie starring a young and very gorgeous val kilmer who playing a uh playing a rock artist playing in east germany and getting caught up in a spy ring. It's hilarious. Any Val Kilmer is a gorgeous yeah. Val Kilmer because he's gorgeous on the inside. That's true. Yes. Uh, and then my number three film of the year is Johnny Dangerously. Which that would be so good. Everybody should see at least once. Yes. God, once. So good. <laughs> so good. And Chud. And Chud. I haven't seen Chud either. See Chud. If you love schlock, Chud okay. is just, it is schlocky schlock. <laughs> All right. Dan- Daniel's turns in that, right? He is. Remember, because when we did yeah. our, uh, yeah. Oh, Daniel Stern's in it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, did, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
we did our our favorite uh, Daniel Stern movies, and Chud was, I think, in both of our lists. That's correct. All right. So, Emily. Yes. Is this the worst best picture? Ah, uh, no. I mean, no. Ha, 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 no. <laughs> God. <laughs> well done, uh, Zach. No, um, I'm I'm looking at my list right now, trying to figure out uh, where exactly I'm going to put it. I think it's in my top ten. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's my top ten. Am I going to cozy it right up to Cuckoo's Nest? So have uh, two Milos next to each other? I might. I have Sound of Music at number eight. Mm, do I like it more than Sound of Music? Mm, mm, mm. You know what? It's my number eight or nine. I'll decide later, but it's in my top ten. <laughs> nice. Jonathan? I'm a very much creature of the now. And right now, Amadeus is my number one. Hell yeah. Whoa! Hell yeah! Um, yes, let's do this! <laughs> I, I love this movie so much. Just like... <laughs> I, I was sitting there going, how much blasphemy am I doing by putting Amadeus above the Godfather? Not, not a but single... Just, fucking thing <laughs> it, it, it's there now it may move at some point but it while this movie is still fresh in my brain it, it has to be my number one so no this is not the worst best picture so <laughs> far it's the best paul Very uh, good. absolutely not the worst best picture jonathan i haven't i haven't gone quite as far as you but i have gone farther than zach this is sitting up my number four nice I almost put it on top of Casablanca, but I couldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Casablanca is too good. Mm. I had this at first at my number four, and then I was looking at it like, yeah, I like this more than you can't take it with you. Yeah, I like this more than All Quiet. Fuck, I like it more than The Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> and and to bring it on, bring it on back around to uh, to what Zach was saying. I have it sitting right on top of my number five, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So my top five right now is the two Coppolas, Casablanca, and the two Foremans. <laughs> nice. Yeah. The more I'm looking at this, I, I feel like I might shift around a little bit. I've got The Godfather, Godfather 2, Casablanca. I've got The Apartment at number four, On the Waterfront at number five. <sighs> Maybe I like this better than Cuckoo's Nest. It's at my number seven. I'm going to put Hell it Hell yeah! <laughs> I love it. Oh, God, this film's so good. It is so good. Well, Emily, thank you very much for joining us again. Yes, thank you. I'm sorry we didn't get to fight as much as we did in West Side Story. <laughs> oh, I can't I, even remember that we fought. I, I honestly, I, like... I listened to I the episode today. <laughs> like, it was... <laughs> it was like, like the, it was like was the sharks and to, the jets. Yeah. I was that honestly was expecting you to come on today, see me, see my face, and just, like, evil stare me down. So. What? Well, it's because that movie's kind of Garbo. But anyway. Greta Garbo? Yeah, she's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> this is are... all performance art. Yeah, exactly. People are allowed to like different movies. It's oh, okay. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I... yeah. Unless right. that movie has John Malkovich, then it's terrible. Oh, my gosh. And Emily, thanks for being with us. And my name <laughs> is Jonathan Pierce. <laughs> Emily. Once again, thank you for being with us. Do you have anything you'd like to plug? Well, actually, I do, Ooh. which is that you can find me on tutors.com, Emily Williams. That's right. If you want your young adult 
middle school through high school through college to be able to do these kind of literary analyses you can find me there oh so i can nice. i can find you and maybe you can help me out with my uh what is this one uh, effective human relations <laughs> um yes where i have to <laughs> talk about why pizza parties are good motivational tools of your corporate structure like you can help does, me with this does, does that yeah, like, burn so, so much does that say that not but basically so not, jonathan not here's here's like a little example so like say for example that like someone you know has a podcast mm -hmm. um and they invite you to be a guest on their podcast mm -hmm. and so you go on their podcast and then you like dump all over their favorite actor sure that is that is not effective human relations. Got you. Got you. <laughs> okay. Anyone who does that <laughs> is exhibiting very poor social skills. Fair. Well, you I don't are... think any of us love John Malkovich that much. I do. Okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> I told Paul there are three things we disagree on: Jesus, mustard, and John Malkovich. <laughs> oh, you like mustard? Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Jonathan Pierce. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and twitch.tv at altorn underscore Occam. Zach, where can we find you? Find me on TikTok at House Havoc. Uh, I usually start with Critiker, don't I? It doesn't matter. Critiker, Zach Master, X A K K M A S T E R. Letterbox, you can search me by name. Paul. Uh, you can find me at Father of the Fear across the platforms of Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Letterboxd, where I keep a running tally of all the films I watched during the week. And this week, I watched Belfast, the new Kenneth Branagh film, a film I nice. actually found charming. Uh, I give it four stars. Check that out. Nice. Uh, and what are we watching next week, Zach? Next week, we are watching Out of Africa, which uh, you can rent on Amazon, Google, Voodoo, or YouTube. Excellent. Yeah. We would like to thank Trav from our sister podcast, Leveling Up with Benjamin Banks, for producing our show. We would like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. We would like to thank Megan and Jay Bellevue for our beautiful artwork. We would like, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Pod and on Facebook at The OscarWorsity Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a nice five-star review like everybody here apparently did with Amadeus. I'm not joking this week. <laughs> what a fucking movie. Uh... And you can do that on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. It really helps us to be seen in the almighty algorithm. The algorithm which thinks mustard is trash. Dun, dun. <laughs> uh, for Jonathan, Zach, the wonderful Emily Williams, and this game, Amadeus Mitzot. Wolfie! Wolfie! I would like for you all to have a damn fine day. <laughs>